My name is Jeffrey Sidoris, and this is Process Driven. Joshua K. Jackson is a terrific street photographer from London. On paper, he's relatively new to the genre, but his already stunning body of work is every bit as compelling as those by some of his photographic heroes. Though Josh is quick to point out he still has a lot to learn, his dedication to photography as both an art and a craft is immediately evident in his use of bold color and superb composition to communicate mood and narrative. And while he often leaves the house without any sort of expectation or agenda, he says that the energy and the buzz of the city is like fuel to keep shooting, especially since you never know what the scene could be just around the next corner. Here's my conversation with Joshua K. Jackson. Please listen carefully. feel like there's almost a renaissance in street photography happening right now? Yes, 100%. Um, I think street photography has been, it's been um, maybe a little bit unfashionable, mm-hmm. uh, uh, particularly in the UK. Uh, I think in New York, it's always been hot um, and there's always been people doing it. But I think in London, the street scene has been fairly, you know, there's not that many big names coming out from London, um, but now I see a, a bigger interest in it, certainly. Um, more people wanting to try street photography and get into the genre. Um, and I think that's exciting. And there's lots of people doing very different work within one genre. And I think that's exciting as well. Like, you know, my style and approach is completely different to the people that do the humor and juxtaposition. So there's lots of different brands within the street photography um, uh, genre, but we're all, we're all doing a similar thing in that we're, we're capturing life in its kind of raw and real state, which I think is, is important um, in a world where we're kind of almost uh, pushed uh, and incent- uh, pushed and encouraged to strive for perfection. Uh, which is maybe unattainable. Um, I think street photography showing things how they really are is is a great thing. When did you think it changed? And and maybe more interestingly, why do you think it changed? Because I I've been thinking this for a while now that that it it seems like it enjoyed street photography enjoyed this this sort of almost golden years in the forties and fifties and sixties, mm-hmm. and then as you said, kind of went out of fashion for a while. But that now has seemingly sort of come back into fashion, and you're seeing a lot more street photography from a lot a lot of places that we didn't see street photography before. Hmm. It's that's a tough question to answer. I, I don't really know where it's come from, if I'm honest. I, I think I, I maybe social media has helped spread awareness of street photography. Maybe there's content online that makes the genre more accessible now because you know if you approach street photography as a novice it's quite a it's quite an intimidating and daunting form of photography to attempt mm-hmm. um, I, I certainly know when i first started street photography in in uh, what was it august 2016 i was you know i, I was a quivering wreck yeah. on my phone. <laughs> I remember physically shaking because I was so scared of taking photos. Um, but now you can just go onto like YouTube or wherever or listen to podcasts or read blog posts 
And there's lots of really good information out there that kind of makes it easy for people to approach sure. street photography. Um, so I, I think it's it's maybe just the aware the, the spread of information that makes it more more approachable the genre. Um, and there's almost this conflict now between people being uh, like a there's like privacy concerns and mm-hmm. people being wary of cameras. Sure. Yeah. Why are you taking my photo? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But at the same time, we all know that we're all being watched by closed circuit television. Right. And there's a lot of cameras around, so there's this kind of uneasiness about like how people feel and receive um, the presence of a camera on the street. But they're probably being recorded by a CCTV camera at the same time. It's it's kind of a, a weird, a weird grey area. Um, but yeah, it's definitely. Yeah, I think it's the awareness of information um, on how to approach it. Um, it is more widespread, and that means more people can can try it and enjoy it and get involved with it, which I think is a great thing. Mm-hmm. Does does that idea of being watched, and, and I think that it's probably more prevalent, at least obvious, in the UK, in London, than it is in many cities in America. Does that ever affect how and where you shoot the fact that you are probably being watched by someone somewhere? No, I, I, I'm, I tend to head out with no expectation. Um, I shoot anywhere and everywhere in London and every day is a complete blank canvas. For, mm. uh, I, I'm completely open. I, sometimes I don't even know what station I'm going to get off at. I just go by gut feeling. Mm. Um, um, but yeah, the, the thought of, being watched never enters into it. It's um, I'm I'm totally open to what the world has to offer me that day, and and more often than not, it's absolutely nothing. Um, you know, I'll come home with fifty, sixty photos that are just nothing. There's nothing to them, um, but through perseverance and hard work, the the photos kind of slowly come to you, and you start getting working out in your mind where you should be focusing your times in terms of like closing off doors of stuff that's not going to be productive for photos as you're walking along the street. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I, I always keep an open mind and I always think the next opportunity for a photo could be just around the corner. Um, and I remember one of my favorite photos that I took, I'd, I'd had a, I'd been shooting for about nine or 10 hours straight bar a couple of breaks for coffee and um i just got nothing i knew i'd had nothing and um i got off the off the train on the way home and um i still had my camera around my neck and i was walking around towards my apartment and there was a barber shop there and i knew there was a barber shop but there happened to be uh, a guy in the barber shop who was counting money and put it back putting it back in the the cash register and you know I, i took the photo i don't think i've ever shared it actually online um, it's something I've I've kept private, but it's probably one of my fa- favorite photos today. And that moment just reminds me that if things aren't going your way, then there's definitely going to be an opportunity just around the corner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell tell me about the first session. I'm curious about <laughs> this this first oh. fortuitous uh, excursion out into the London streets. Where did you go? How did you decide where to go? And and what well, was <laughs> Yeah, I, I picked the busiest area in London. So I started off in Trafalgar Square. Um, As one does. Yeah, so I, I kind of, I assumed the role of a tourist for the day. So I kind of 
I I pretended that I was going to be a tourist and all I was going to do is just take some tourist snapshots. Obviously, at the time, I was taking street photos. Um, so I focused in Trafalgar Square and Chinatown, which are basically next to each other in London. And I picked those areas because they were busy. And I I was so preoccupied with trying to manage and deal with the fear. I just wasn't paying attention to what I was actually doing. Um, <clears throat> and I probably wasn't even aware of how I was projecting myself to third parties. So I'm, my body language would have been appalling and I know it. And I, and I cringe when I think about how I must've come across. Um, but I was just so nervous. I couldn't even focus on like the vision side of things. Hmm. Um, and I was worrying about the technical side of it, which again was something that was getting in the way of the process and my enjoyment. And, um, I just persevered. Uh, so the, f the first day was a complete nightmare. Um, I think I spent two hours and thought, you know, solve this. I'm going home. This is not going to work. Um, and uh, the reason I, the reason, the reason why I decided to do street photography in the first place was because I was, I was feeling a little bit bored and uninspired with my photography because <clears throat> I was doing it very casually um, as like a hobby. And um, <clears throat> sorry, and. Uh, I was doing kind of like landscapes and cityscapes and architecture shots in London. I just got a little bit bored and uninspired. And I'm a big believer that you, you learn most when you're kind of pushed out of your comfort zone. Sure. And I was really, really in my comfort zone with what I was doing. And I needed a new challenge to kind of like kick me up the ass creatively. And street photography was the genre that had the kind of no barriers to entry because mm -hmm. all you needed was a camera, had one of those, uh, a city. I live in central London, so that's fine. And a, and a pair of comfortable shoes and you were good to go. And, um, when I got home after my first experience of street photography, although it had been a complete disaster, I knew that I'd learned something from the experience. And that is what kind of compelled me to go out again and try. Mm -hmm. And the second, second attempt was a bit better. And I started to kind of find ways to manage the fear and deal with it. And it, it took me, it took me a good month or so to really get comfortable with photographing on the streets and start to have that spatial awareness you need uh, in order to kind of recognize opportunities and threats at the same time. Sure. Um, and yeah, in December 2016, that's when I really started to kind of think, okay, I'm starting to kind of make images that I'm happy with. But when I started out, I didn't have a clue about street photography. I didn't know anything about famous street photographers. Um, I was completely green and naive. Um, and my idea of street photography was like humor and juxtaposition. And when I started out, I think that I was chasing the wrong kind of aesthetic because that's what I thought street photography was. And I was going after that. But as you see from the work that I create now, it's completely different to that. Mm -hmm. Um, and that all changed when I, when I started getting awareness of, of other photographers who's, work that I could connect with more like Leiter, Haas, Herzog. And I thought, well, you know, this is a brand of street photography I can really get on board with and use that as fuel to, um, impart myself on, uh, my own street photos. Um, and I've been doing that ever since. And, you know, find, finding your voice, uh, is a constantly evolving process. 
um, for any photographer, for any artist. Um, but I feel like I'm, I'm slowly getting there and starting to get a handle on who I am and what I'm about and what my approach is and what the kind of aesthetic is and why I use color over black and white and so on and so forth. While we're on it, why do you use color? I mean, the, the street photography has been, uh, by and large, I mean, there are certain, certainly standouts. Um, you mentioned Fred Herzog, he's terrific, Saul Leiter, but there's a long-standing tradition of black and white street photography. How does how does color allow your photographs to speak in a different way than they would in black and white? I I think I use well when I was when I was at school when I was about ten or eleven I was diagnosed with dyslexia and I had I've got or I have uh, specific problems around rapid processing of numbers and symbols. So that basically means I'm crap at reading and writing. Um, I've always had, uh, although that's my weakness, I've always had a more of a strength for um, being able to communicate visually, and that's how I kind of understand things in a mm -hmm. visual sense. Mm -hmm. And I guess that street photography is almost like the way that I can kind of communicate how I feel, what I'm thinking, and my ideas. And it's taken me an embarrassing long embarrassingly long period to actually arrive at something where I think, yes, this is my, this is how I can speak to the world. But the reason why I shoot in color predominantly, and I, I do shoot some black and white, um, but the reason why I shoot in color is because it, it represents how I feel when I'm taking the photos on the streets. So, mm -hmm. you know, I walk around London and I feel energized. Um, I feel inspired and I want those colors to come through uh, in my images about how I'm feeling at that moment of capture. And every image that I share publicly is an exact representation of how I'm feeling at that moment. And people always say like, oh, there's a, there's a lot of red in your, your photos. And I say, yeah, but that's not, that's not something I, I go out with to actively capture. Mm -hmm. It just kind of happens because if you shoot on, based on a gut feeling and uh, spontaneously, you'll find that you'll notice themes in your work and it just so happens subconsciously. I'm drawn to these kind of colors and um, relationships between colors and um, you, you start establishing themes in, in your work and that leads to finding a voice and a, a bit of a style that people are, can maybe identify um, as your work. So, you know, color is just uh, the way I can kind of communicate how I'm feeling. And, and, it, and it's interesting because it, I, I like how color can add another layer to an image in a way that the viewer can maybe respond to the image differently based on how they're feeling and what their experience and what their background is. So say an image is red. Red for me could mean passion, love energy togetherness but at the same time it could stir up thoughts of um anger uh war death oppression and you know I, i've i've posted images online or shared images online and i've had people message me who have said like oh this image makes me feel it, it's like dark and moody and very atmospheric and then i've had someone message about the same image and they said oh it's really energizing and uplifting. And I just find that fascinating that 
the colour is completely their poles apart have mm-hmm. been received mm-hmm. from people. Um, and I guess that's why I shoot in colour because it just represents how I feel uh, when I'm when I'm taking photos on the street. Yeah, there is a a, a narrative that that seems to um, sort of pervade your 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 body of work, but it doesn't feel it doesn't end up feeling forced. It doesn't end up feeling um, well intentional. I think is the wrong word because it does feel intentional, but it feels like it's it's purposefully sort of observational um, mm. rather than I need to go out and look for more red pictures today or I need to go search for something blue. It's, it seems as if you are curating your ability to see rather than what you see, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I think it was Alex Webb. I watched something ages ago and he was walking around um, and he was saying that you can kind of, you can smell a good picture. Hmm. And I, I totally get what he means. Like I walk around and you just get a feeling like, okay, there's something here. And it could be the relationship between colors. Um, it could be the way that the light and the color is working. And I just have that gut feeling sometimes that something has the potential to make a great image um, or a good image. And um, I, I just try to listen to that gut instinct. And something that I'm working really, really hard on at the moment is to cut out that delay between thinking and doing. And I want to make them as one. So as soon as I think, right, okay, there's an image here, I just take it and don't overthink the process. Because sometimes, or more often than not, the moments on the street is so fleeting and you have you know, no time at all to see, compose, take the shot. Sure. And if you're not there and prepared to capture that moment, it's lost forever. Right. You can never right. get it back. So I think it's really important to try and capture these moments. Well, and I think you you told a story that one of my favorite, if not my favorite images of of yours, is the guy coming through the plastic at uh, in in the warehouse. And yeah. you just happened to be walking there, but you, you did have a camera with you and you got this yeah. one shot that was a reflex. It wasn't, it wasn't, a a, a hunt per se. No, no, no. Yeah. It wasn't a hunt at all. I, I was going to the bank to pay him some checks and, uh, I had my camera in my bag and I, and I always say to people on workshops, just take a camera with you everywhere for a week and don't. Try and avoid that feeling of, oh, what if I have my camera? <laughs> yeah, if only. <laughs> yeah, just just eliminate that possibility from the equation so that you, you have no regrets. Always have your camera with you. You don't have to have it around your neck, but at least have a camera with you. So if you see something, at least you can stack the odds in your favor of capturing it. So anyway, I was, I was down in a place that's near where I live, a place called Tooting in London, um, and I was I was going to the bank, and I just happened to walk through this market, and I saw the light that's that was kind of flying across these uh, slatted um, uh, exit to a, like a, a bin area for the market. Right, almost and, as if uh, you would walk into a refrigerated area, that type of a yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And I just had this kind of gut feeling instantly, like okay, the colours here, the reds and the greens. Mm-hmm. We've We've got potential people coming in and going out. I saw a guy go out as soon as um, as soon as I got there. So I got my camera out because I knew he had to come back in. <laughs> right. Uh, and there, there was nowhere else for him to go. And he knew I was there because he'd walked past me. Um, and as he 
as he was coming back into the market, he kind of threw his arm up because he knew I was about to take a photo and like punch through the um, through the uh, through the plastic slats, and that's why his arms raised in the image. And the thing I like is you've got the the figure who's kind of in the uh, in the shade. You've then got the shadow of the figure in the light, and then there's a reflection of the of the figure on the left on yeah. the counters. Yeah, kind of have those three elements. Yeah, and the um, juxtaposition like, of it is just lovely. It really is lovely. Yeah, and the and the great thing was I wasn't even using my like primary camera that I had at that time. I had some terrible <laughs> camera that didn't even work. <laughs> shutter button worked like one in three times. So I, I was really like pushing my luck with regards to catching the image. I took the shot and then it was done and it was, it was just a cheap camera, but I, I just love, I love that it reminds me, take your camera with you everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you just never know what you're going to come across. And like some of, some of my fa- favorite photo that I took recently, um, I, I shoot a lot in an area called Shoreditch in London. And one day I just decided, right, I'm just going to walk in the opposite direction to where I walk to an area that I've never been before. And I ended up in this kind of housing estate and I don't even know where it was. And I'd been walking for ages and um, I came around this corner. I saw these like metal bars that looked like kind of like jail gates. And behind it was this little girl's kind of like toy um, that had obviously been abandoned. It was faded in the sun. It was Mm. pink, but faded. It must've been there for months, if not years. And it was sat in some, old leaves that had all rotted and decayed. Um, and then around the child's toy, there was dis- disposed beer cans and cigarette butts and drags, drug paraphernalia. And I-, I wasn't expecting to find anything like that, but I think that's probably one of my favorite images that I've taken recently. And that again was just through having a camera with me and being open and receptive to possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one of those images that, uh, makes me think, and I like that um, because in social media, mm-hmm. the the stuff that does well is the images that are are the images that are kind of obvious to the mm-hmm. viewer. Sure. Whereas if there's an image that requires someone to really, really think about the narrative, then it probably doesn't do that well. And I kind of like that in a weird way um, because you can tell who's really looking at what you're putting out there. Mm-hmm. What do you think awakened? this sort of more refined or receptive vision in street photography that wasn't there when you were shooting architecture and landscape, what changed? What, what was, what was the aha moment there for you? If there was a definite moment? I think, uh, I think it was just my way of like connecting with the world and trying to understand myself. And, and as I said earlier, like I didn't really feel like I could, articulate my thoughts and ideas because I've never been a, a good writer and you know I, I, I communicate visually mm-hmm. uh, and I, I, I quickly found that street photography was a good way for me to to be able to to express those ideas um, it, it, it hasn't really gone beyond that at this stage fair to say that you feel more at home and maybe even energized in a in a city environment versus the country or the land or an out uh, sort of more rural landscape. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I feed off the, the buzz of the action. And I think there's, 
there's so much going on in every city that every moment that I'm sat at home, I know that I'm missing out on opportunities for great photos. Um, and, uh, and at the same time, I know it's important to have downtime, but I just love to kind of work the streets and see everything that the city has to offer. And, and even if you walk up and down the same street every day for a year, you'll find something new, something that's changed. And there's the little nuances that, um, uh, things that can turn into great photos. Um, so like Chinatown is an area that I shoot a lot in, in London cause it's kind of where I, where I learned to do street photography or taught myself. Um, and I shoot there a lot and it looks the same on the surface. If you go there every day, people are like, why do you always shoot there? There's nothing here. But when you look hard, there's something different every single day, whether it's a broken window or so the way that the chefs are talking and mm-hmm. smoking together or deliveries or whatever, there's always something new and interesting to photograph. And that's what street photography is about. It's about seeing those little things. Um, but it's almost like having a, a micro and a macro view of the world at the same time. Sure. Um, and trying and trying to bring that into to to your images. Have you been surprised by the reception or the notice that the work has gotten in in such a short time? Well, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, you know, I I don't I I have so much to learn, and I will never stop learning or improving. And I <clears throat> the the work that I create now, I think is is hopefully nothing compared to what I'll create in two two three years time. Um, you know, I, I'm very proud of some of the images that I've made, but my focus at the moment is just on building up like a body of work, um, rather than, um, just kind of shooting to please, a, a social media audience or sure. something. I'm very sure. conscious about building up a, a body of work and that has a, a kind of a clear idea behind it and a clear style. And, and like Ollie, who was on your, your previous uh, episode, you know, it takes time to refine that and sure. say I'm part way through that now. I, I don't necessarily know the answers. Um, but I find that if you sit back and, um, relax a little bit, these things kind of tend to come to you in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, I don't want to force the process. I just want to let, let it happen naturally and organically. And I think that's the best way to be as an artist. How often do you go back and, and kind of look through weeks or days or even months worth of work to, to, to just reflect on sequences of images rather than single images? And, it, and, and if, if there are any sort of recurring themes that, that you'd like to go deeper on or maybe shy away from? Yeah, I, well, one thing I, I never do is I never, ever delete an image. Never. Hmm. So, um, I Why not? always keep, because I think as your eye improves and your vision changes, there are things that you capture that maybe you didn't connect with at the time, but looking back and on reflection, they have the potential to be a good image. And also those images can fit with maybe what you're doing now or in the future. Um, so, I mean, three or four of the images on my website were, images that I initially glossed over and through going back through my archive, which from year to date is about 60,000 images. Wow. Going back, 
going back through my archive, I found just through a month's worth of content, I found three or four images that I thought were were worth kind of looking at again. Hmm. Um, because they worked yeah. individually or because they worked within the context of of a, a sequence of images? What what changed yeah, your latter, mind the about them? Yeah, the latter. Yeah, the latter. The latter, yeah. I just felt that they they were they were a style that was maybe obscure to what I was doing at that time, mm -hmm. but now they make sense within the context of what I'm shooting. Um, so if you you know from Twitter that I share images in pairs quite often. Yep. Um, I think long and hard about sequencing because um, one day I would like to maybe put together a book. And I think it's a, a worthwhile process to start thinking about how you can go beyond the single image and how you can express some form of a narrative through uh, sequences of images. So I'm always thinking about how images will work together. Mm -hmm. um, so on my, on my bedroom wall at home, I have hundreds and hundreds, like, it looks like the bedroom of a madman. <laughs> I've got hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of mini prints right. on my wall. It's like that scene um, in, did you ever see one yeah. hour photo with Robin Williams where yeah, he, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that final scene where he's just got hundreds of images tacked up on the wall? Yeah, it looks crazy, but that's the way I kind of, I have them all printed out and I just have them on the wall and see how they sit together so that I know that I know when I'm ready to maybe put together a, a book because I'll, I'll be absolutely confident that every single image in there works in sequence and fits and feels right. Mm -hmm. And has a purpose where it appears. Yeah, because yeah. if you put anything in the public domain, especially a book, once it's printed, you know, that's that's your reputation on the line, and it's got to be right. You know, I, I would never, ever rush anything to get out. So I, I, people always say, like, oh, when, you, when you're getting your book out, it's taking ages and so on and so forth. And I'll just be like, it's ready when it's ready. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to rush it. Well, speaking as one of your as one of your fans, Joshua, you can make more than one. Yeah, yeah we we will buy more than one of your books. Yeah, yeah. I th I think at the moment I probably got about forty images that I think are, are I'm I'm happy with. Mm -hmm. um, and probably another five six hundred that are good, but maybe they they need a context of another image that's right to work mm -hmm. um so yeah it's it's a, it's an evolving process um but i i think it's a, a really worthwhile one and I, I i love sequencing images i don't i don't know why um but i just i it's something that i'm working hard on at the moment well it's a, it's another skill that i think it's a skill that a lot of photographers not necessarily ignore but don't give the time that it that it could or or should have there, there's there's something you know taking taking a, a terrific photograph that is that is one skill in and of itself but but assembling a sequence of images to communicate some sort of narrative whether it's a, a literal narrative or a metaphorical narrative i i think that's another skill in and of itself yeah yeah i agree yeah and i think instagram is not helping because we see the work of the people we follow generally one image at a time. We don't see how, unless I go to your profile page, I don't see how your body of work is evolving. And I look at so many photographs that I don't remember what the last photo that you or Ollie or Craig or anybody else posted, you know, yeah. because we're, we're so bombarded with this stream of, of images. Yeah. And I, and I think the problem with a lot of social media is, 
and, and I'm probably guilty of this as well, but a lot of photographers use social media as a bit like a kind of battery farm approach to photography and that they're just firing out content um, that sometimes they don't even believe in themselves. And I know photographers that do this and they mm-hmm. tell me like, you know, I know this isn't a good image, but I'm posting it because I know it will do well with my audience and it will result in X visits to my website. Sure. Going to be print sales or whatever. And I'm just like, you know, that's fine. But if you're, it's your reputation out there if you're putting rubbish online. Um, not rubbish, but stuff that you don't believe in. Um, and I think sometimes it's important just to step back a little bit and think about what you're doing and why you're doing it. So I really, really dial back on what I'm doing on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and just trying to put out stuff that I really believe in or um, just put out stuff that challenges the audience just to see who's really, really looking. Sure. Are you posting and sharing things in sequence? Are you thinking about what came before it and what's going to come after it when you're sharing an image? Or is it on the strength of that single image? Mm, it, it, it has been on the strength of the single image, but what I think I'm going to start doing is sharing in kind of pairs. Mm-hmm. Um, just just to be a little bit different um, because when you flick through an app on your phone and just scan, scanning down and down and down and down, I think if you just see one image, then maybe something that's two images might, might be a little bit more attention grabbing, but I don't, I don't know. I, I tend not to take social media too seriously. And the real focus of my effort at the moment is just to, the stuff behind the scenes, like building up my body of work, thinking about what I'm doing and where I'm going and, how I can improve um, because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still relatively new to photography in general, um, let alone street photography. Um, and I know I have a lot of weaknesses that I need to, to work on. Um, so that's, that's kind of where the focus is at the moment. I wonder how prints would do as not as diptychs in, in terms of separate prints, but offering prints with two images per panel the way you're sharing them as a, as a, as a way to sort of pair off uh, a mini narrative, if you will. Yeah. I've, I've thought about that. I think it's, it's a great idea. And I, I feel like when you look at some photography books by you know, the masters, there are certain images that it, it feels wrong to almost split them up. Mm-hmm. Because they work so well together. Um, and there's a couple of images in particular that I feel are absolutely um, should be together if ever one was sold uh, as a print. It hasn't sold so far, but there are two images that I would insist that go together um, uh, on a wall. Um, but yeah, printing printing for me is a really important step on the process, um, particularly if you shoot digital, because when you shoot with a digital camera, it doesn't feel like, oh, well, the image doesn't exist really. It's just it's just like ones and zeros on a hard drive, isn't it? Sure. Um, whereas with film, at least you have something kind of tangible uh, to, to work with, whereas with digital, you don't. And when you print your image, it's almost like you're giving life to it. And how you can see and understand your images, I think, is very different when it's printed to how it is on a computer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's cert- and it's certainly a lot easier for you to see how images work together in sequences and stuff like that. Like, I, I just couldn't even think about putting together a book Um with organizing it on a computer. I need that physical tactile touch right. uh, of images. And I also think printing is a great way for the, the photographer to add a new element to the creative process. So 
like with Ollie, who does the huge prints because of the large format that he shoots, you know, those look absolutely amazing. Um, for me, I thought about doing some creative processes with some of the window shots. So maybe using like a, like a glass veneer, um, and mm. print to, mm. to like an epoxy resin type thing. So it almost mimics the glass. Yeah. You almost get that physical. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So I thought about doing a series of, uh, all epoxy prints, but with an epoxy resin layer over the top, um, just to kind of add something different to the process. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I I think about that a lot, like things that you can do to be a bit of a differentiator, um, just to go above and beyond. Was it a challenge to get your prints to the level that that you thought they adequately represented the work in terms of, of who you or what what you use to print them or who you use to print them or the type of paper choices did was that another process in and of itself or was that pretty straightforward for you yeah paper choice is a big one for me um uh, it wasn't a difficulty finding uh printer because there, there's a couple of labs in london that have great reputation so i could go to them and they were they were great at speaking to me and giving me options but i think each print some each print has it responds differently to different papers and sometimes what works with one image that's very similar to another in terms of style and aesthetic doesn't work for another. Um, so generally when I'm putting together a print for say like a limited edition, I'll, I'll maybe do 10 to 15 prints on different papers, like mini prints, check the colors and things like that, but also just see how, what it feels like, what it looks like, how it feels. Um, and you just have to go with a gut feeling. Like I really like textured papers because I find that works quite well with a lot of the images that I shoot, like photo rag and things like that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's a couple of images that really work with like a metallic paper and they really, really sing the yeah, colors yeah. on that. When when you get an image that works with a metallic stock, there is, there's little better than, than, than the way those colors pop and the way things just yeah. become sort of luminous in a way that they wouldn't on a regular paper. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's sad in a way that a lot of photographers are charging people hundreds, if not thousands, of pounds for prints that they're just kind of uploading to a website, printing on the bog standard print paper, and they're not really putting any love into the process. Um, and I think if someone is investing in you as an artist, the very least that you can do is go through the process of making sure that you've delivered to them the best possible quality product and that's what i always do for anyone that's looking to buy a print of me um you know i invest a lot of money up front to make sure that it's absolutely right um both in terms of the representation of the color how it should look but also the paper so that they're getting absolute best quality possible product Mm -hmm. i think prints there there is still i mean i know that digital has its place and I, i i love digital photography but there is something about a, a well-crafted print that still absolutely does it for me, man. It just, the feel of it or just seeing it on the wall, there is something absolutely magical about it. More so even yeah. than than a well-printed photo book. I mean, I've I've got a ton of photo books that are absolutely beautiful, but there is something better still about that single well-printed image hanging on the wall that you can just walk past again and again you know yeah yeah and you you can you can really connect with it like i i met a guy that i know uh, from austria yesterday and he gave me 
a print that he made at home with the film that he developed himself in his own darkroom, a silver gelatin print. Wow. On the back, on the back of the print is um, his process. He, he explained the development time, the chemicals that he used, and there was so much love put into that print. Wow. That was just the most, the most amazing gesture. And I will forever cherish that print and I will never, ever, you know, that's going to be in the middle of my home. And it was crafted with love and you can really, really feel that where mm-hmm. as if it's just a print that's kind of print on demand, you know, you just, it doesn't feel special to me. Right. It may do for some people, but for me, it just doesn't feel special. And, and if you're investing in an artist, then it, it has to be something that feels special. Sure. Well, and I love that that effort that, that you, that you not only are purposeful in your effort of, of, of offering and providing that, but that you recognize and are so receptive to it from someone else. That, that effort is not lost on you on his part or anyone's part that goes to that effort for you, I would imagine. Yeah, and uh, you're, you live and die by the, the quality of your product, whether it be you know, street photos you create or the prints that you sell and everything that you put out there has to be has to be a proper representation of who you are and what you're about and authentic. Um, and you can't cut corners. Um, I just don't, I don't believe in cutting corners. You, even if things are harder and they take longer, you've got to do things right first time. Yeah, I, I completely agree. What are, what are some of your favorite photo books? Who are some of the people that you, that you even now look at? Not necessarily when you started, because I would imagine that there are constants but then I would imagine that as your eye has refined, as you said earlier, that your tastes maybe have changed. Yeah, I mean, uh, one photographer that obviously you know that I, I love, Lita Haas and Herzog, they're like my big three, but yep. I'm a huge, huge fan of Bruce Davidson. Oh, sure. Um, I just, his work blows me away. Um, I like his kind of blend of street with documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that I feel myself kind of almost gravitating towards a little bit more um, as time goes on. Uh, I'm a big fan of Trent Park, um, which may be a surprise. To, I don't, to I don't know Trent Park. <laughs> so he's a Magnum photographer, um, black and white, um, shoots in film, I think still. And one of, one of my favorite I'm going to paraphrase here because I can't remember it word for word, but he said a quote that, you know, you've got a special image. um, If you take whatever it is, a thousand images and you still can't get near it. Um, And that, that really lives with me. Wow. Because there there was a particular image that he takes and I I would encourage you to, to check it out after the show. I can send it to you actually. Please. And um, he went there every day for a number of weeks and shot hundreds of rolls of film. And um, he said that he just couldn't get near that image ever again. And he wow. knew that it was special. Um, and, I, and I like to think that. So, you know, if I go to a spot and take a photo and then I could go back the next day and take the same photo, then it's not a good photo in my opinion because it can be easily replicated and mm-hmm. it doesn't have that special source. Um, but that that really lives on uh, from Trent Park, and I, I just I love his work, um, black and white, and lots of deep shadows and bright sunlight. Gordon Parks, um, oh, love Gordon Parks. Gordon Parks. Yeah, have you seen the the Steidl box set, the five volume set? Yeah, uh, I remember you were talking about it. Gorgeous. Oh, it's so gorgeous. Uh, 
Alex Webb. Sure. Oh, sure. Great Alex one. Webb. Yeah. Um, Harry Gruyert. Am I pronouncing that right? I don't know um, that one. Another Magnum photographer shot on Kodachrome. Um, he's he's probably my fourth uh, favorite uh, photographer. Um, but yeah, that's I, I'm always looking at work of new photographers. Um, but yeah, those those are the main ones um, in terms of photo books. I think Herzog Modern Color is is my number one. Yep, it's um, a brilliant brilliant body of work. Absolutely beautiful. But the the great thing about it is not just the the images in there, but it's the volume of images, mm -hmm. and the consist, consistent quality throughout. And he's, he's what I, what I feel is like a true colorist in the, you know, a lot of the images, they wouldn't have the same impact if they were in black and white. Sure. Um, I think Haas yeah. is the same way too. Haas uh, definitely different feel if it were in black and white. Absolutely. Um, oh, and also I'm a big fan of, uh, Fan Ho as well. Ah, oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Like his, his, his black and white work, uh, from Hong Kong is, is just, it blows, takes my breath away. A lot of film shooters in your top 10 there, Joshua. Yeah, I guess, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know why that is. Um, I, I think with, I think with digital, I feel a little bit more disconnected from the process than when I shoot film. And I, I'm shooting about 50-50 digital and film at the moment. How, how do you approach it differently? How is your process or, your, or your, your workflow different in terms of getting the images? Not, I mean, obviously you have to develop film, but the actual photo taking slash making process, how is it different film versus digital for you? Well, I, I, I shoot film more at night mm -hmm. than digital during the day. And the reason for that is when I shoot at night, it's, I've, I slow right down. Um, I'm probably a lot more considered. Um, I probably look a lot harder. Um, and I find that film has a, almost like a magical quality at night. I just think it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know whether it's the way the highlights transition or what, but I find that digital files and I've used a, a number of different digital cameras. I, they just, they don't feel as nice to look at um, as film files that were shot at night. What are you, um, are you using Cinestill or what are you using? Yeah, I've shot a bit with Cinestill. Um, I'm experimenting at the moment with some slide films. So I've got Ektachrome hmm. C64 um, mm -hmm. and I've also got some hand spooled motion picture film that's been sent to me. Um, a, a big box of that that I'm working with um, that I'm excited about. So I'm thinking about doing a couple of little projects um, to, uh, to to use those motion picture films. But yeah, film photography is, it feels very slow and deliberate and that kind of fits with how I shoot at night. Um, in the day, it's a little bit more frantic. Um uh, a little bit more run and gun, whereas at night I really slow right down, and it's it's more about finding the scenes um, and just kind of enjoying the world and seeing the light and the colours. And I find that real, works really, really well with mm -hmm. film photography. Is um, is there a difference thematically between your film work? Mm, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think so. I, I think I, I've shared some film stuff. Uh, online recently and no one's kind of said oh that's very different from what you what you do digital uh, wise um i feel that there's there's a good consistency there now and i and i'm trying to use a similar focal length for film and digital um which i which i wasn't doing before um 
So I'm using around a 50 millimeter for both at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's kind of where I'm settling. Um, cause I used to shoot longer. Um, and I started off shooting wider, but I've arrived at 50 as my kind of my all around, all round lens at the moment. It, it feels like in your work, the 50 gives you a, a, a terrific balance, not only in terms of field of view, but distance from your subject. Yeah. Yeah. I, even though I use a, a longer focal length, like sometimes I use 85, but I still like to get quite close and kind of in there. Um, and I like every inch of the frame to have some form of relevance and importance. Um, e- even if it's negative space, it, it should feel deliberate, the negative space, and shouldn't just be there for the sake of it. Um, but with a, a slightly longer focal length, I find that I can kind of make the image a lot more focused on what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a lot of street photography is 28, 35 and capturing lots of different elements um, in one image. But that's that's not really the way that I'm able to kind of digest and unpack what's going on around me. I I tend to pick up on something small and then think, right, how can I make a photo from these things coming together? Um, and I try to make a little story within all the busyness and the hecticness that's going on around me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you are terrific at at using planes of interest and planes of focus within within an image and and pulling or pushing us as a viewer. I'm assuming exactly where you want us. <laughs> yeah, that- I try. I try. Well, yeah. I'm putty in your hands, Joshua. (laughs) I try try to do that anyway, but I I like because the cities are there's loads of distractions and it's busy and you know there's so much going on. I I like to kind of just really pare down onto like just one or two things and make a clear subject in the image rather than having um, images that have like you know, 20 or 30 different things going on there. I, I, I just, I just wouldn't be able to do it. It's yeah, the way yeah. I see the world. Um, so I tried to make a really focused story um, about a few elements and try and bring them together in a way that, that looks visually appealing, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think your work, it, there are so many shots that just feel like glances that it did. And I think that, that kind of ties back to what you were saying about almost being fearless about just not pausing, getting the moment when you, when you feel it rather than trying to force a scene. Um, there are so many of, of, of the photos that you've shared that really do feel like they were there and gone in an absolute instant. Yeah, they, they always are. I mean, it's every photo that I take is just a fleeting moment. Um, you rarely have time it's it's normally under a second between seeing and the moment gone. And if you don't have your camera ready and if you're not prepared and you don't have that kind of gut instinct for what the composition's going to be, it's gone. Um, and I, I can't tell you how many shots I missed in the early days because I was just too slow and I couldn't, I couldn't digest what was going on around me to then think, oh, right, this is going to work in a landscape or a portrait orientation this is where my composition is going to be at. But over time and with practice, you get a really good gut feeling and you start developing a good instinct for taking the shot um, to the point that sometimes you don't even need to look through the viewfinder. Um, you, you don't even have time. Um, by the time you lift the camera up to your eye, the moment's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, been a couple, there's been a couple like that um, that I've just kind of 
I've had to shoot from my waist because it's been, I've, I've almost caught the tail end of what's going on and just kind of taken one shot and it's, it's kind of worked more often than not. It doesn't work. I must stress. Um, but you know, maybe it's luck, but sometimes I've got a, a couple of shots that way. I, I was walking through Chinatown a few weeks ago and there was, there's like a dustpan and brush. Um, I think I posted it on my Twitter and just the way it was lent up against the wall with the shadow and the colors and the textures. I just fell in love with that, that little scene. Um, and I took that photo and I, I absolutely adore that image. Um, so, and I, and I've walked past that thing hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of times. And I've walked past it. Since <laughs> but I've didn't see it. <laughs> yeah. And I've walked past since I've taken the image and that opportunity is never going to present itself right. again because I'm never going to catch the light in that way. It's never going to be lent how it was. Um, and it was just something slightly unusual and you're kind of, you, you're almost, you're trying to create something out of nothing and you've got to be resourceful with what you have in front of you. Um, and if you slow down, I find that you'll, you'll see a lot more because um, a lot of street photographers and I see them in London, they run around like maniacs and you just think <laughs> okay, there's, there's so much that you're kind of completely oblivious to and missing, you know, just slow down and relax and look at the colors, look at the light, look at the reflections, look at the textures and just, try and make an image about one of those things and then build up in terms of the complexity and layers and stories. Um, and if you're going for humor and juxtaposition, of course, that's a very a different beast, but just, just start with something out of the ordinary and then work your way up um, and just get in the rhythm of shooting. And you'll find that your, your gut instinct for what is going to make a good picture will improve. And so what if you take a bad photo? 99% of what you take will be bad photos. But right. Right. The it photo police aren't going to come and kick the crap out yeah. of you if you, if you take yeah. a bad photo. Yeah. yeah, you can always delete the image, but you, you can't get the image back if you haven't taken it. So it's always better to have too many than not enough. So I always just say, get in the rhythm, find anything out of the ordinary and, and go from there. Um, will you change. will you hold back if you if you see a scene, if you see a composition and something about it, you go, no, I've already got that. Will you hold back or will you take it anyway? Because it might be a little different and maybe a little better. I'll take it anyway because it will give me ideas for other things moving forward because mm -hmm. the way that I see and understand my images now is probably different to how it was maybe two, three months ago. Um, and it will give me ideas for moving forward. So there could be something within there that I think, oh, maybe I could incorporate that in something else in the future or, you know, I love the relationship between those colors. I haven't noticed that before. And you just kind of... It's just like little visual cues that you're building in your mind so that when you're walking around, like, okay, so, you know, I, I don't shoot blue and yellow very often, for instance. So maybe if I saw that, then I could think about incorporating that into an image and how that would fit with some other images that I have that are blue and yellow in a book and, and so on and so forth. But There was it, a yellow, though. I'm going to call you on this one. pair of yellow gloves that you posted a while back that, man, was that a great shot. I think it was somebody washing a window. Oh, yeah, 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 in Chinatown, yeah. Terrific <laughs> photograph. I mean, and, and again, one of those sort of glances that if you, if you weren't receptive, you, you would walk right by. And the, and the interesting thing about that photo is I've got about 20 photos of that scene, landscape, portrait, and every single image is completely different because I was working the scene. Wow. And I always say to people, if you find something that's good, just keep working it. Yeah. You know, Every single photo you take will give you something different. And 
if you have the opportunity to do so, you'll find that you, maybe it takes 15, 20 shots. You can't always get it in one shot. More often than not, you won't get it in one shot. But if you can take 20, 30 shots, um, then then do it. Um, you know, especially if you're shooting digital, it costs you nothing. You, you feel your way through these photographs. How do you communicate that? Because you and Craig are doing workshops now. How do you communicate that? to a student when it really is something almost instinctual or, or reflexive in, in how you make pictures? It's a very hard question to answer because we all see and understand and unpack the world in, in different ways. But I always say as a starting point, if you're walking around the streets, then just try and look for something that's beyond the everyday and something that's slightly out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, and start with that and make just photos of those things. So it could be the way that the light is hitting the window. It could be the way that um, uh, some objects are, are, are on the floor. It doesn't even need to feature people, but just getting the rhythm about thinking about photography and taking photos of things that are slightly out of the ordinary. Um, because if you fall in the trap of just taking the easy shots, like people texting on phones or the back of hats or stuff like that, you, you've seen it before, you'll see it again, and no one's ever going to remember those photos. Um, but if you can find and identify things that are slightly different, and it could just be like a color study, mm-hmm. um, or it could be some textures or something like that, start with that and then look for ways that you can incorporate a little bit more complexity. So if you're just focusing on color and texture, then look to bring in light into the equation. And just slowly build your way up in terms of layering and getting more complexity into your images. And that's what I would always say. Um, But I think, yeah, just you've got to look for something that's beyond the everyday to project more of a a personal view of the world um, rather than just what everyone sees all of the time. And don't just chase after what's obvious because what's obvious is usually not interesting. Whereas what's um, what is interesting is maybe something that people haven't seen before and won't see ever again because it's it's out of the ordinary and try and make photos about that. You can see a selection of Joshua's work on his website at joshkjack.com. That's J-O-S-H-K-J-A-C-K.com. Also on his site is information about his upcoming workshops and ordering information about both open and limited edition prints. And there are some gorgeous images available, so be sure to check those out. If you'd like to follow Joshua on Instagram or Twitter, you'll find him at Josh K. Jack as well. Subscribe to Process Driven in your favorite podcast app. And you can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Jeffrey Sadoris. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S. You can check out my book, Photography by the Letter, available as both a paperback and a downloadable ebook at photographybytheletter.com. And as always, thank you very much for your time. I really do appreciate you listening, and I hope you'll come back for the next one. Uh-huh.